0: Generally, Father, I, I thank you for every relationship that is represented here this morning. Lord, I, I pray a special hedge of protection around our marriages. Lord, I thank you that, uh, that you have written a bestseller on marriage. And Lord, as we look to your word, I pray that you will uh, soften our hearts and open our ears. Lord, that, uh, that we might have a marriage that reflects your glory. And that, Lord, our marriage might be winsome to a lost world. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, welcome. This is the first of five sessions that we're going to do here at Rock Point in our marriage series on on marriage (coughs) Sunday morning. And this morning, we're going to be looking at how how do you go the distance in your marriage? and, And how do you thrive while doing it? And we're going to look at that in the context of of covenant and legacy. Next week, we'll come back. We'll talk about communication, blissful communication. And then the following week, Michael and Kathy Flores are going to come in, and they're going to talk about, so what happens when the bliss is gone? And then Edie and I will come back, and we'll cover conflict resolution, and we'll end up talking about intimacy. Um. We've got a good group here. Let let me just find out, kind of audience-wise. How about how long have we been married? Let me just kind of get a sense of who's here. How many? Uh, first off, is there anybody here that's not married? Okay. How about two years or or less? Any new? Uh, okay, good. Rob, all right. How about uh, two to five? Okay. Five to ten. Good. We've got a good group. Ten to twenty. Oh, good. We've got a, a big group there. How about more than, let's see, 10 to 20, 20 to 30. Okay. Yep, keep going. All right. Any, good. Anybody over 30? How long?
1: <laughs>
0: yeah, I can relate to that. How long have y'all been married? 32. Congratulations. Anybody else over 30? Good. Well, we've got a good group. Well, we're Brian and Edie Sanders. And uh, we'll celebrate our, our 29th wedding anniversary this coming May. And I, I'll never forget the first time that I laid eyes on. We, we were both in college. And uh, she came walking down this long ramp that was sort of in the middle of, of a big foyer. And me and some of the fellows were sitting on a couch kind of some distance away, which was strategically located where you could see what was coming down the ramp. And you could do it without getting caught. And so I looked up and I saw her coming down the ramp. And I just sort of said to everybody and nobody, wow, who is that? And the guy sitting right next to me said, without missing a beat, he looked up and he said, oh, that's Edie Easley, and she won't go out with you. (laughs) Well, he turned out to be a mutual friend. And the gauntlet had been thrown down. So he agreed to introduce us. And it never seemed to work out. So finally, I realized I was going to have to take the bull by the horns and go up and introduce myself. And so I did. I went up, I introduced myself to her, and I asked her out. And uh, he was right. She she wouldn't go out with me. But after much persistence, she finally saw the error of her ways. And we were married 18 months later.
1: Okay, now... He doesn't tell the story exactly right. <laughs> so let me let me tell you the story. So he walks up to me, in, in the middle of the circle of friends, we sitting there in the student center at the college where we both have. And he walks up in the middle of the circle and he says, "I'm eating." Lucky he didn't know. And he says, "I'm Brian Sanders. You want to go lunch with me?" <laughs> well, okay, okay. He so, okay. so bubbled us all over. at went at lunch. So I went to lunch with him. Well, after that, he would meet me after work. Every day. And say, you want to go out? You want to go to a movie? You want to go to dinner? No, oh, I'm tired. I just want to go home. He said, okay. I'll just go home with you and watch TV. <laughs> Nowadays, I, I think the
0: technical term for that might be stalking. but I'm...
1: <laughs> so He would follow me home every night after work. It was about twenty, uh, about twenty minute drive to my house, and I thought, okay, I know what he's doing. He's got a strategy to win my parents first, and then he's going to win me over. It actually worked. Because <laughs> one night, my dad, I had gone out on a date with somebody else. I got home, my dad and said, "What are you going to do with him?" Well, I don't know. He says, "Well,
0: if you don't marry him, I'll have to adopt him." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, as a father of three daughters, I've seen that strategy <laughs> turned around and be used on me. Well, you know what? <laughs> We hadn't even gotten down the aisle yet before I caused our first little discussion. All I did was...
1: <laughs> Again, I'll <tell> stop. Sorry. <laughs> I refer back to our wedding picture. I know this is a really very 80s wedding. You can kind of tell. And you can't really see real well here, but what he has on her orange cowboy boots. I do not he was going to do that before. And so he's wearing orange cowboy boots with a white tux with a baby blue from bow, baby blue an orange cowboy boots. Okay, but it gets better, ladies. He told all of the other men at the wedding to wear cowboy boots too, including my dad. I guess he thought it would be funny.
0: That's what I learned afterwards, not to trust her dad. He knew better. He didn't tell me. Yeah, as I recall, Edie used the word horrified somewhere in the sentence as she was explaining her thoughts to me on, on this matter. And you know what? And so our journey began. And I can remember thinking over the years, how are we going to go the distance? I mean, how are we going to make, make it? And the odds are some of you have had the same thoughts as well. Well, we know what uh, what everybody expects in these marriage things, you know. You expect Ron to kind of go out and to get the perfect couple with the perfect marriage to, to do the marriage thing, you know, the marriage experts. Well, the problem with that is Ron actually couldn't find that couple because they're a myth. Th- that couple doesn't exist. Uh, Edie and I, we are two very different people. We have three very real kids. Um, and we will never be perfect this side of heaven. But... Here's what we would say to you, Edie and I have, we have a, we have a great marriage. I, I am lucky. I, I'm married to my best friend, and we are, we are madly in love with one another. And sometimes, we're just mad at each other.
1: <laughs> and
0: sometimes, I don't like her very much. Well. That's true. You'll you'll see why as we move along, and, and 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 vice versa. Okay, vice versa. Because you know what, she married a sinful guy, and I married a sinful woman. But as we move along, our, our goal for for these sessions is really to do this. It's just to be transparent, to to sort of let you in on the successes that we've had, but also the failures, uh, and just to be real. Um, and I'm sure as Edie. Tell some of these stories. Some of you ladies will think he's real, all right? right? Isn't like, real stupid, but <laughs> case of Well, here's a big idea we want to just throw out on the table early on, and that is, you know what? A great marriage doesn't just happen. A great marriage requires effort, and it requires intentional effort. All of us are on this journey called marriage, And each marriage is is a work in progress, and it will be until we get to heaven. And so we're glad that you're here this weekend. So what we're going to do today is we're going to look at some biblical principles, some some foundational principles to build upon, okay? Everything we talk about after this will be built upon, these principles. And, And really, they're designed to help us go the distance in our marriage and to thrive while we're doing it. We're also going to... Marry, if you will, research with biblical principles. And it won't be any surprise, it shouldn't be, that you know what? The research just validates what God's already written in his bestseller on marriage. Well, let's take a look at some of the research that researchers have come up with. Here, Here's one here.
1: <laughs> <clears throat>
0: the king of the jungle cowers in the corner while mama is not happy. And you see, researchers have concluded from this that uh, marriage definitely exists in the animal kingdom. (laughs) Well, there's more, actually. I want you to to work with us on this. Assume that every one of you are going to make a documentary on marriage. Okay? So you have a video camera. And you're going to go out and you're going to video a bride and a groom on their big day. All right? So it's your movie, not mine. It's Brides bride and Grooms that, that you've seen before, okay? And you video this bride and groom. And so what I want you to do is help me, describe for me what I might be seeing on your video with respect to how they're interacting with one another. What might I see? What might I observe? And what might I hear as I am watching your video of your bride and groom? What do you think? What's in your video? Okay. Two highly stressed people. Yeah. What else? How are they interacting? How are they communicating? What's, uh, you're seeing it right now in your head. What, 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 am, what do you seeing? Help me. Hugging. Yeah. Kissing. Okay. Hugging. Kissing. Yeah. All right. Happy? Not happy. Okay, they appear happy, right? Communication? Pretty good? Okay. Yeah? Yeah. Okay. Well... That's
1: what my video is. I see... What I love to watch at a wedding is when the bride's in. I don't watch her. I look at the husband to see, the, the groom to see what he's doing, and I love it when they kiss. sweet. <laughs> so, you know, that moment that they're just so wrapped up in each other, and they're each other's whole world, and it's not else around.
0: I love As we go through this, why don't you capture some of these on the board for us? So, all right, we, we've got the bride and the groom. Now, I want you to fast forward. Same couple in your video, okay? Ten years later, all right, typical Saturday morning, what am I seeing, what am I hearing, and what might I observe as I watch your video? Ten years later. It's your time to get up with the kids. Yeah. Okay. A little bit of tension in the conversation, right?
1: But they're still hugging and there's still the affirmations of love.
0: Okay. Your couple, they're, they're, they're still in love? Okay. I'm not talking about necessarily the perfect marriage, Christian marriage here. I'm talking about your, not your marriage, of course, but your neighbor's marriage. I mean, what, really? What else? What are you seeing? Come on. Oh, we're busy. Yeah. Yeah. What else? I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. Chores. Okay. And what?
1: And who's going to
0: do them? Oh, yeah. We're having some role discussions, aren't we? What else? Start
1: seeing the, they the, the man going to golf or do something else, or, or the wife maybe. I don't know if the wife would do that as much, but they're kind of going times. Times.
0: separate directions. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Their their focus is not so much on each other anymore, right? I mean, not entirely, but there there are other things that have entered the picture. Okay. Good. How about fast forward again? Now we're talking 50 years of marriage. All right? Typical Saturday morning. It's your couple. What am I going to see? What am I going to observe? And what am I going to hear in your video? Get
1: up and go to breakfast.
0: Get up and go to breakfast. Yeah. Okay. Take a
1: handful of medication.
0: <laughs> I, knew we, I knew I was old when she bought me a pillbox. Okay? Yeah. <laughs> I was not happy with that. <laughs> <laughs> happy with that. <laughs> what else? How the kids have sports. Fifty years. Yep. Yeah. 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 I'm sorry, yeah. I'm sorry. yeah. Grandkids, though. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yep. What else? I'm going to make the assumption that you
1: feel much, much more comfortable. You're comfortable. Okay. All right. You've got more quiet. Not more. You have the quiet time to get up in the morning, got your coffee menu
0: you're
1: sitting down and just
0: relaxing at the table okay life is good alright life is good for some together. pardon together,
1: right? they do more
0: together okay mm-hmm. how many of the couples in your in your, uh, in your video you didn't have anybody in the 50 year video they didn't make it well here's the question if we rewound every one of your videos all the way to the beginning, interestingly enough, almost all of us would look the same in your video. Our interaction is going to be pretty much the same, right? I mean, a pretty high level of marital satisfaction, or satisfaction at least in the relationship. Because, you know, you're like, you're like us. I mean, I didn't look at her one day and go, you know what? I hate you and you hate me. What the? Why the heck don't we get married? Well, over time, though, things begin to happen, don't they? And and things begin to happen that cause differences in the way we interact with one another. And because of these differences, you can, as you begin to watch these videos, I mean, for the most part, and it's not unusual, a crowd like this, you painted a fairly rosy picture of, of what you might see. But as you watch each of these, if you did this enough, what you would begin to see are some significant differences in the way these couples are interacting. Okay? Well, researchers begin to see the same thing. And they begin to ask two different questions. They, they asked, what are these differences? And, and, and are these differences, these predictive variables, if you will, um, are they predictive? That is to say, could they indicate how a couple might turn out? And the answer to that question is yes. The second question they asked was, well, if they are predictive, are they changeable or are they unchangeable? And the answer to that question is they mostly are changeable. That's the good news. You go, well, what might be unchangeable? For example, mental illness could be something that is unchangeable. Well, so if you plotted all of the couples out of your videos... All right, Here, here's what you would see. On the left-hand side is the satisfaction scale, marital satisfaction, low at the bottom, high at the top. On the right is a stability scale. And for our purposes, stability is synonymous with commitment. You're, you're in this for the long haul, okay? Well, if you did a scatter plot, if you will, of all these couples, three distinctive groups would begin to emerge. And out of these groups, what you would see is this. You would see couples at the top that are highly satisfied in their marriage. And you would see couples that are also highly satisfied and they're highly stable. They are committed for the long term. You'd also see two other groups that share one commonality, and that is they're both unsatisfied their marital satisfaction is not too good. But the difference between these two is this group would be stable, not highly stable, but stable. And one of the reasons for that, there are many reasons for that. It could, religion may be, you know, you just don't believe in divorce, okay? It could be financial. You'd leave if you could. It could be the kids' are still in the house and you're going to leave after the kids leave. I mean, there's a lot of reasons for that. So let me ask you this, this group right here, your videos. Okay. How many of you know a couple that basically they just live together? Not, not satisfied. Yeah. The heads are nodding. Well, this next group, this next group, they're the unsatisfied in terms of marital satisfaction. But they're also unstable. That is to say, there's nothing that's really holding them in this relationship. You know what we're going to call this particular group? Anybody have a guess? Divorced. Yeah, you're ultimately going to call this, this group divorced. So, over time, something happens. We start out here, okay? Pretty pretty much all looking the same. But we wind up over here. Well, one of the reasons is this. Researchers talk about this in terms of the in-love phase. And one of the reasons that newlyweds start out with high marital satisfaction is they're typically in what's called the in-love phase. Some researchers call it, I, I like this, the juiced brain phase. Okay? There are actual differences in your brain. Dopamine's a little bit higher and, and so on that cause a distortion in the reality of how you see your relationship. We work with a lot of pre couples and one of the big challenges is always helping them take off the rose-colored glasses to the degree that you can and help them see their potential spouse as they really are. Because you know what? In a couple of years... This thing's going to wear off. And, and here's the interesting point that I want to make here. The juice brain in the early years helps you do things that lead to high relationship satisfaction. But when it wears off, you begin to change. Okay? And your natural inclinations lead you to do things that's going to cause some other problems normal when it wears off normal is beginning to focus on the most important person me by the way um, would you be surprised to find out that um, the juice brain um, can turn back on again It's not age dependent. It's newness dependent. Guess when it turns back on again? Oftentimes, it's when you're in an extramarital affair. That's what's going on in an extramarital affair. Could be a physical affair, could be an emotional affair, but the juice is turned back on again. I can't tell you how many couples we've talked to over the years. That they're describing their situation at present they say they'll they'll say words like this they'll say i just i don't feel anything anymore i i don't I, I've lost that feeling, okay, the righteous brothers they wrote a song about it, okay you've lost that loving feeling whoa, whoa. yeah, I'm not going to sing it okay well, if they're in an affair, they'll also use these words oftentimes, I have found." true love again I have found somebody who makes me feel so in love again and I think I know it's the juice and it's going to wear off again and whether we realize it or not and we usually don't unless you've seen something like this is when you're in that kind of a situation you've gone looking for the juice again and it's going to wear off again well here's the thing Couples don't just automatically fall out of love. It's, it's an erosional process. It happens over time. And, and here's the point of this slide. That after the juice has worn off, whoops, after the juice has worn off, we either become intentional or we become Lazy. Yeah. And our natural choices are going to lead down a path that none of us wants to go down. Your natural instincts will cause an erosion. And we're going to talk about what some of these intentional choices are in just a minute. But first, I want to focus on this side. Okay? I want to focus on how do we get to the stable side of the relationship okay we're going to ask ourselves two questions how does God see your marriage and how do you see your marriage so turn with me if you have your Bible turn with me to the book of Malachi Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament you go to Matthew and turn left and you'll find Malachi Malachi we're going to go to chapter 2 So here's sort of a big picture for the book of Malachi. Malachi is kind of a a record of a dialogue going on between God and and, and the Jews. The Jews have come back from exile, and they're in Jerusalem, and they've been rebuilding the temple with Zerubbabel. And they're beginning to grumble, okay? Because they don't feel like that they're experiencing God's blessing like they would have experienced or like they would have expected. And so this is a dialogue between God and them as to why that is, okay? And there's a number of reasons we start in chapter 2, for example. There's, there's something going on with the priests. And then about, about verse 10, he says, oh, and another thing, you've been marrying outside your faith. But what we're going to do is we're going to pick up in verse 14. Verse 14, chapter 2 of Malachi. And here's what it says.
1: <clears throat>
0: you ask, why? It is because the Lord is acting as the witness between you and the wife of your youth. Because you have broken faith with her, though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. Has not the Lord made them one? In flesh and spirit they are his. And why one? Because he was seeking godly offspring. So guard yourself in your spirit and do not break faith with the wife of your youth. I hate divorce, says the Lord God of Israel. You know, we're talking about covenant and legacy, and just a, a quick comment on legacy. How many of you saw the video last week in the marriage series of the of the kids being asked about marriage any oh yeah okay well there was one little boy in there, I think it was the one that wore the tie, but his answer to what is marriage was this he said so they can make more people so they can worship God." he got it exactly right that that's what that's exactly what God just said as part of marriage. Why? Where you can have godly offspring. Where you can have a godly marriage and so you can pass your faith on to the next generation who can pass their faith on to the next generation. Part of God's mega plan for kingdom expansion. Well, the other thing I want to comment about this is says, I hate divorce. But here's what he doesn't say. He doesn't say I hate divorcees. And so on average a group of size about somewhere between 23 to 27% of us have experienced the pain of divorce all right so here's what I would ask of you as we, this is a series on marriage not divorce but from time to time we're going to talk about divorce we're really talking about the marriage that you're in right now so don't filter what i'm saying through your divorce Fil- filter it from a standpoint of the marriage i'm talking about is the one that you're in right now well how does God see your marriage God sees your marriage as a covenant relationship and not only does he see it as a covenant relationship but he sees it as a lifelong permanent covenant relationship look with me in Matthew chapter 19 we're going to start about verse 3 Matthew 19, verse 3. So we're going to pick up on a conversation here between Jesus and the Pharisees. And let me give you a, 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 just a, some backdrop against this, which this conversation is taking place. In Jesus' time, there was a discussion going on about the reasons that you could divorce. All right? Two Jewish Uh, two rabbi teachers, all right? Today, kind of think of it this way. There's sort of a debate between two seminaries, all right? Well, one seminary says, you can divorce for any reason. And the other seminary says, no, that's not right. You can only divorce for marital unfaithfulness. So it's against that backdrop that Jesus is being asked a question by the Pharisees. Look with me in verse 3, chapter 19. Some Pharisees came to him to test him and they asked is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason Jesus said haven't you read he replied that at the beginning the creator made them male and female and said for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two shall become one flesh so they are no longer two but one therefore what God has joined together let man not separate Now, don't miss what just happened there. They came asking Jesus about divorce. But what was Jesus' response? Jesus' response was about the permanence of marriage. You see, Jesus is trying to elevate marriage far above this discussion about how how can we get out. He's trying to elevate the sanctity of marriage. Well, that wasn't good enough for them. So they pressed him and they said, well, then fine. So why did Moses command us to divorce our wives? And Jesus says, No, 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 that's that's not right either. So in verse seven he said or they said, Why then they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. Again, he's trying to elevate the sanctity of marriage. But it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you, and now he answers the question, I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness and marries another woman commits adultery. Well, time doesn't really permit for us to dig into covenant like I would like to. And it's kind of a shame because, you know, covenant's not a word we use in our everyday vernacular very much. And in my opinion, it is very difficult, if not impossible, to understand this book without understanding covenant. Because it's a book full of covenants, and our God is a God of covenants. Every time we go outside after a rain and we see a rainbow, we're seeing evidence of one of God's covenants. And God still takes covenants very seriously today, unfortunately, even though we don't. Well, Ron said last week when we started this series, Ron was trying to give some uh, some flavor to the word bliss. Do you see your... your, your marriage is ball and chain or bliss. And here's what he said. He said that the definition of bliss was supreme fulfillment for the glory of God. And I agree with that. So he said the definition of bliss is supreme fulfillment. But in the context of a biblical marriage, he went on to say for the glory of God. You see, in the covenants that God has made with man, God has always remained faithful even though we haven't remained faithful to those same covenants. And here's where I think this, this applies. Supreme fulfillment for the glory of God. Well, I think in the same way, I think I have the opportunity to reflect God's glory by remaining faithful to this covenant relationship regardless of what the other party does, just like God has done with us. And I think that is exactly the understanding that the disciples had. Because look back with me at verse 10. Look what, look at the reaction of the disciples to what Jesus has just said. Because they're understanding this in the context of a quibble between two schools as to what you can do to get out of marriage. They say in verse 10, the disciples said to him, if this is a situation between a husband and a wife, it's better not to marry. I mean, they realize all of a sudden that God has, Jesus has elevated the sanctity of marriage. God sees your marriage as a lifelong, permanent covenant relationship. So the question is, how do you see your marriage? Well, I want to read to you from uh, the epistles of Abbey. And um, that's not in the Old Testament, that's. That's uh, not in the New Testament either. It's uh, it's actually Dear Abby, and this is a column uh, that's titled "Wife's Personal Vows, Trapping Her in a Loveless Marriage." And here's what this lady said. She said, "Dear Abby, I'm a 39-year-old married woman who has lost all hope. My convictions and emotions are in severe conflict. I'm a deeply devout person, which made the divorce from my first husband extremely traumatic." When I remarried, I made a religious commitment that I would make my second marriage work, and under no circumstances would I ever leave my new husband. Because of that commitment, I feel I must honor my pledge, even though there is no love, no intimacy, and no marriage anymore. And she goes on, she gives some details. You know, there's always two sides to every story, but I promise you, if I passed this around and we voted, we'd all say, you know what? I don't think her husband's working on this too hard. I think he's probably kind of a jerk, okay? Well, she ends her letter this way. She says, Dear Abby, all I want to do is to get out of this marriage so I can start over. But my oath is holding me hostage. Please help. Here's what Abby said. Speak to your spiritual advisor to relieve you of the burden of your well-intentioned but unrealistic oath. You see, it takes two committed people to make a marriage work. And your husband has broken his marriage vows by not fulfilling his responsibility to be a partner who loves you as he loves himself. Interestingly, she just paraphrased Ephesians 5 as to how a husband is supposed to love his wife. Here's a good question. Ask yourself if a loving God would want you to remain in a loveless marriage that is a marriage in name only. Your marriage ended a long time ago. And since your husband is unwilling to work to revive it, the time has come to accept that reality and to move on. Well, the essence of, of Abby's reply, and the essence of the world's marriage, this way: you are absolutely somewhere. It's, it's somewhere in the Constitution. You are entitled to your happiness in marriage. Okay. And number two, God, He wants you to be happy what a loving God wants you to remain in in a loveless marriage and three you know your spouse your spouse is not fulfilled they're part of the deal and we all agree on that part and so what we have here we've got a breach of contract and as a result of that breach of contract you're free to go now Abby talks about this wife's vows as being unrealistic and you think about that for a minute you know what she's kind of right if you view it as a contractual relationship, her husband, he's kind of broken his end of the deal, right? And if he's broken his end of the deal, then surely she has the opportunity to move on. Well, that's what Abby will tell you. And here's what's being said. Sometimes it's subtle and sometimes it's not. It's, it's all about me. she She's not a part of this and, and neither is he. Here's the world's message to us. We just need to be aware of this. You're not going to find a lot of encouragement for hanging in there, out there. Because the world's message is this. It is about you and it is about your happiness. And when you are at this level here, there is not but one thing to do. I can tell you that after spending 25 years or so, in the oil business, drafting contracts, negotiating contracts, interpreting contracts, that the world, dear Abby, and unfortunately, many of us in the Christian community, we see our marriages as a contract, not as a covenant. And we see it as a performance-based contract, and it's based on self. It's based on self-fulfillment. It's based on self-interest. And even though we may have said, Edie and I, we may have said, until death do us part, that was conditioned by this assumption in the back of my mind. I said, well, as long as, you know, the bozo does what she or he is supposed to be doing, right? I mean, that's kind of like understood. You don't need to really write that out. But the problem with that perspective is God intended marriage to be a lifelong, permanent relationship, not a contractual relationship. So how do you see your marriage? Do you see it? as a performance-based contract or do you see it as a lifelong permanent covenant relationship and a lifelong permanent covenant relationship to a sinful person? That goes both ways. All right. And because of that, you know what it's going to require? It's going to require some sacrifice. It's going to require some sacrifice on my part. Look with me in... Philippians chapter two. Yeah. Is the qu- so the question is?
1: Well, how how to see your Because it basically, if you look at it, as man made as opposed to a God made.
0: Okay. Yeah. I think that's exactly right. I mean, one of the reasons, and I don't do this flippantly, one of the reasons I call this God's bestseller on marriage is because God actually created the institution. Not, no offense, but not Dr. Phil. Okay? So when I want to understand what God's intention was, and that's kind of where we're going with this is, how does God see marriage? How do we see marriage? Is there a problem between the two? I think you're exactly right. I mean, it is it is a God-made institution, regardless of what we understood or didn't understand when we stood at the altar. It's a good point. Philippians chapter 2. Let's look at the sacrifice just very quickly. Philippians chapter 2. Um, let's start with verse 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. You see, this is one of those others verses. doesn't apply to marriage, right? Yeah, maybe it does. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant... Dr. Fred Lowry has said it this way. He said that if covenant is the heart of marriage, and I believe it is, then sacrifice, sacrifice is the heart of covenant. Once you begin to see your marriage as a performance-based contract, you're headed down a slippery slope. When you begin to start to measure how she's doing how against how I'm doing, You're you're headed towards becoming unstable. You're heading towards one of those other two groups that we talked about. And you need to settle this question because it's the perspective from which you're going to come out your marriage. All these other things that we're getting ready to talk about, these predictive variables, you're going to look at them through that lens of performance-based or is it a covenant relationship? Okay. Okay. 15 minutes. All right. I'm going to move over. And I know that we have just barely scratched the surface of the stable side of the equation. But I want to move on over to the satisfaction side for just a minute. Actually, for the rest of our time and and move over and talk about that. So what are those predictive variables that differentiate couples that, that wind up highly satisfied versus unsatisfied? Well, we've already said that highly satisfied couples, at some point, hopefully early on after the juice is gone, somewhere, they became intentional. They started making intentional choices about their marriage. And we're going to talk about those in just a minute. But first, let me just touch very briefly on marital satisfaction through the life stages. If you went out and you went and you surveyed thousands of couples as to their marital satisfaction... Okay, in all stages of life, you would get a graph that looks just like this. I've been involved in one of the research projects and our graph looks exactly like this graph, which came from a different company. So as you sort of look at that for just a moment, on the bottom of the graph is time and time is divided into life stages. And on the left hand side is the satisfaction scale. What are some observations that sort of pop out at you? I mean just as you look at it. Thanks, we'll ah, thanks. Okay. <laughs> Hang on, right? <laughs> Hang on. Yeah. For those of us kids yet,
1: that kids mess it up. You know,
0: that's one that's one that you would you would take away, okay? Because it just so happens that the drop occurs about the same time kids enter the picture and guess what? It starts up again. About the time that they're leaving. Kids are a major stressor. But the takeaway here is not to have children. The takeaway is, you know what? It's going to cause some stress in our marriage. In fact, look at the biggest drop. Where does the biggest drop come? First kid. One of the couples that we have in our, our newlywed small group said, We never, we, nobody told us what was getting ready to happen in our marriage when the first kid came. What else? What, what are some other? All right, let me ask it this way. What do you think are some of the things that affect our satisfaction? Write down. Yeah, write some of these down. So as you sort of look through this, what are some things that, that affect satisfaction? It's not about me. It's not about me. Okay. <laughs> Selfishness, is that a way, is that a, a way of, of saying that? What else? Time. You have way too much time on your hands. No, you mean like we're like majorly busy, right? Yeah. What else? Money. You have too much money and too much time. No. Financial stress, right? Yeah, what else? Yeah. It's more complicated, isn't it?
1: Yep. The child takes credit. Yes. Well,
0: before you get married, you never talk about how are we going to educate the kids. Sure. Do. Then There's grow. a ton of work in here, isn't there? Yeah. Okay. Well, we could go on. But two points about this. Number one is is that after the juice wears off, you need to become intentional about your marriage. Okay? And, and this is the second major takeaway. Dips in marital satisfaction, they're common to all of us. Okay. You may not be exactly on that scale, but you're probably going to expect, expect or experience, you may not expect, experience dips in your satisfaction. You go, know, why is that important? I'll tell you why it's important. It's because Satan wants you to believe that you're the only one that's experiencing that. And all the rest of us, we're happy. Okay? That's exactly what Satan wants you to believe. And you know what? So there must be there's some reasons why she's not going to work out for me anymore. Maybe maybe we weren't compatible.
1: And I know that
0: darn love and feeling's gone. And so therefore I've made a mistake. You, you can see where Satan uses this, can't you? Alright, so dear Abby. Dear Abby says, be happy. God wants you to be happy. God says, be permanent. Oh, and he also said this little thing about sin, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, meaning you married a sinner. If you married a sinner for, for life, be happy. Am I like the only one that sees kind of a problem with this combination? Okay? What, what's God up to here? Why would he do that? What's his perspective? How does he see this? I think the answer I think the answer is found in Romans. Take a look with me in Romans 8.29. Some of us can quote and have quoted Romans 8.28. But oftentimes we don't connect it to Romans 8.29. So I'm going to start in 8.28. It says that we know in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. For those God foreknew, He also predestined ton of theology right there. We're not going to go into it. But here's the point. For those God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of His Son. That's the point here. Okay? God's plan is to make us more like Christ. Ron mentioned this several times in his sermon last week. I haven't heard this week. But he said, you know, the idea here is to make us more like him. And the idea is, what if what if marriage is more about your holiness than it is your happiness? I think God sees our marriage relationship as an opportunity to make us more like him. And the world sees our marriage relationship as an opportunity to be happy. I think we can say it this way. I think God sees our marriage relationship is sort of like his little workshop. Okay, he's in there chiseling away, trying to make me more like him. And you go, yeah, okay. How's that work? All right. Let me give you an example. Galatians 5:22. Okay, who knows what's in Galatians 5:22? You know, fruit of the Spirit. Right? Yeah. yeah. What are some of the fruit of the Spirit? Yeah, yeah, right. Okay, good. So how does that work in marriage? So oftentimes, what I believe God does is he puts us in exactly in the opposite situation of what he's trying to teach me. He wants me to be patient, to learn patience. He allows me to marry Edie. Okay? And we're late for the rest of my life.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Or, or, or or reach me self control when you were
0: and you know what you're laughing but you've got your own list don't you you think about that for a minute with a different perspective on your marriage a lot of the things that will happen okay that are going to impact satisfaction begin to make a little more sense instead of saying okay now look god all right on this one right here I am absolutely certain and so are you. She is 100% wrong on this one. All right? Change her! Okay? Instead of that saying, okay, Lord, what do you have for me? Lord, change me. Help me to develop patience, love, kindness, and so on. How you see your marriage is going to make a huge difference in how you come at it when well, we talk about some of the things that we need to do to become intentional in marriage what are those things for those of you that went to the early service I want you to think about some of the things that Ron was talking about I didn't hear all of them I just heard just a, a piece but some of those things he was talking about are actually found in one or the other side of, of this list okay so, if you didn't hear, you go to the next sermon, think about this. We need to do two things. Researchers said, well, the difference between those, those couples, highly satisfied and the rest of them, is they did some things. They became intentional and they started doing some things to lower the risk in their relationship. They learned to communicate in a godly way. Well, that's one of the reasons you'll see that some of the topics we're going to be talking about in the next couple of Sundays are from this list communicate in a godly way and you need to learn how to resolve conflict in a godly way. Researchers will tell you this. They can watch you communicate and resolve conflict in an extremely short period of time with an amazing degree of accuracy predict your success for marriage. They're predictive variables. You need to learn to solve problems because you know this list over here we've been talking about that marital satisfaction scale you could say a lot of that is just Problems. You're going to have problems as, as you go. How about expectations? I need to change my expectations. Certainly, when I am early, I mean newly married, I, mean, I kind of had some, some ideas about what marriage was going to look like. Well, reality sets in. How about that first child when she's no longer paying me nearly as much attention? I mean, in an intimacy, I mean, what do you say about that one, you know? Um, forgiveness. I married a sinner. She married a sinner. And on the other side, commitment, friendship, fun, sensuality, spiritual intimacy. I, I looked, When I first saw this list, Edie and I were together. And I kind of stood back and I said, let's see, I got spiritual intimacy. And I said, Edie, does, does sex fall in that sensuality thing? That's kind of a girl word. I wasn't sure exactly. She, and yeah, she said, so physical intimacy and romance falls in, in sensuality. You can kind of think of this as a a list for marital insurance. We do a lot of things to our house to lower risk, security alarms, dead dead boats, and so on. That's on this side. But we also do some fun things, pool, big screen TV, workshop. I know those are guy things, but, you know, kind of make me like my house. Well, in the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at some things from both sides of this list. So let me summarize Here's what we've said so far. Covenant marriage, a covenant marriage never quits. We have said problems in your marriage are God's curriculum for making us holy. Pursue holiness and satisfaction will come. We've said a great marriage doesn't just happen. It takes intentional effort. So one of the things we want to do during this series is not just to have you come here and listen. Okay? It is to have all of us. He and I are no different from you. We are busy. And if I'm going to do anything, I'm going to have to knock something else off of my schedule. And so, what we want to do is to just throw out some opportunities for you to become intentional. Some opportunities to grow in your marriage. For some, we're going to talk more about this in conflict resolution. Let me encourage you. Take the D word off the table in your conflict. Do not use the word divorce We're going to talk a lot more about why that is. But draw yourself a safety net. Here's something I would like to encourage all of you to do. And all of these opportunities are in the left-hand side of the folder, right? Okay. I would like to encourage every one of you as a couple to go online and take the couple checkup. The couple checkup is a marital satisfaction survey. You know, the the graph that we just showed, it it came from millions of people that have taken this, and it's going to give you a snapshot in time of how you're doing. Okay, and what are our strengths, and what are some areas that we may need to grow in? And now remember this: you may have done that before. Question is: Are you in a different life stage right now? Because if you are, your marital satisfaction may be different because you're being challenged and you're 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 faced with different things. One last, two, th- two last things. Some books. If you want to investigate further this idea about holiness in your marriage, Gary Thomas wrote a book called Sacred Marriage. And then Covenant Marriage by Dr. Fred Lowry is a great read on, on the covenant of marriage. Let me close us in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, help us to be hearers and doers. Lord, help us to look to your word and to build our marriages.